0: This podcast is from HeptagonClub.co.uk and PaulCarenza.com. The Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. Seven guests, seven corners.
1: On this week's show... Command Module's pilot is clearly wearing a red suit.
0: I am here, Sir Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about?
1: Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with a load pudding. And your host, Mr. Paul Carenza. Welcome, welcome. Merry Advent. If you are listening to this in the correct season, then it is pre-Christmas. Well, it's always pre-Christmas, arguably. It might just be several months pre-Christmas, depending on your time frame. Either way, welcome to what is currently planned as the penultimate Heptagon Club. Yes, we're winding up. Closing down, moving along, and other prepositions. Everything must go. If it's not nailed down, you can have it. Here's the thing. Every creative project runs its course. And this may have run its... At the same time, we might come back. Who knows? Basically, I've got a new idea for a new podcast. One guest per episode, not seven. Don't tell anybody. But it seemed a little easier to organise. So my hope is we'll have a fairly long interval after the Heptagon Club closes its doors and then look out for something new later in 2019. That's the plan. If you happen to be interested in backing a new podcast in some way, if you have editing or production skills or what have you, or hey, even money to back something so I can hire an editor or producer, I am, of course, all ears. Paul at Paulcarenza.com is how you can reach me. Speaking of ears, turn them this way for this Christmas special. We normally have seven guests per episode. I'm saving my seven for next episode which will land in January our grand finale it's going to be epic so as last year my Christmas special does the opposite of what others do others who feature extra guests at Christmas well we can't get much more than seven guests well we could have eight I suppose Uh, but instead as you well know I am a Christmas obsessive, a, a Santologist, as we referred to it last week on the Radio 2 Breakfast Show. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one. It was actually quite a day, that was. Uh, Chris Evans spot in the morning. Um, I've got a couple more of those before the big man retires and Zoe Ball takes over. And uh, in answer to a few queries on that, if you're wondering, pause for thought. We'll continue under the Zoe Ball Breakfast Show tenureship. I'm looking forward to guesting on her show in the new year. And Godspeed indeed to Chris off to Virgin. How Christmassy. He's on a journey starting with two. Ending at something to do with a virgin. Anyway, last Friday was particularly unusual. Chris's show in the morning, all full of bizarre celebrity guests, Andy circus and Helen George, Sophia ellis Baxter. Uh, then an exciting meeting about writing for a new chat show, which may or may not happen, but it's exciting nonetheless. And then I went back to Radio 2 to be interviewed on Steve Wright's big show. Love the show, Steve. Talking about my book, Hark, the biography of Christmas, talking turkey and mince pies and festive traditions of yore and how we've ended up with this Christmas. It was great fun. You can hear the results on tuesday the 18th of december me and righty serious stocking filler no gee oh my and then that day wasn't even over then then we raced back to guildford to rehearse my christmas play three wise men with the brilliant bob hartman alex birkins and jen masters those of you who followed my podcasting from movie banter days i did that podcast with jen and with John, and that, Jen, was in the play I did last week. That was great fun. All Dickens and Prince Albert and Washington Irving. More from at least two of them later in this podcast. Because the plan this time, as we hold back our seven live guests until next time, is to hear from seven non-live guests in the form of festive readings. You know the nine lessons in carol service. That gives nine lessons from across the Bible, not all Christmassy, it's meant to give you an overview of the story building up to the Nativity. Well, similarly, I thought, let's not do the sacred texts, but the secular ones. With the greatest of respect to the sacred, but let's have words from seven guests that perhaps sum up one root of how we've built up to this current Christmas. Seven readings from seven influential Christmas makers. Well, I say seven, it's nine lessons in carols. So maybe for one week only, the Heptagon Club becomes the Nonagon Club. Is that nine? I think it's called a nonagon. I think it is. Let's start with the first guest from Christmas past and all will become clear. We're going to work our way back in time through history. So from December the 16th, 1965, our first lesson, our first guest comes from an astronaut. Hi. Hi. And who's this? Tom Stafford. Well, a representation of Tom Stafford. I am not Tom Stafford for legal reasons. Oh, well, hi, Tom Stafford. Uh, Who are you? Well, I'm an astronaut on Gemini 6, performer of the first song in space and performer of the first prank in space too. When I convinced NASA that we'd spotted a UFO with these words. Uh, Houston, this is Gemini 6, we got an object, I think it's a satellite moving north to south, possibly in polar orbit, looks like it should be re-entering soon. There's a command module, and, uh, yeah, eight smaller modules down in front. Command module's pilot is clearly wearing a red suit, and, uh, we're hearing this musical interference. <laughs> That was a reconstruction of the first live musical performance from space, Jingle Bells. The astronauts had smuggled bells and harmonica on board, the uh, first musical instruments ever in space. So there you go. Jingle Bells itself was, of course, written for a Thanksgiving service a 100 years earlier. And is actually a song about drink driving. Get out of the way. I've had a few. For more on that, listen to James Cooper on last year's Heptagon Club Christmas special. Our second guest of Christmas wrote a letter amid mud and blood and his enemies' cigarettes. Private Henry Williamson of the
0: London Rifles wrote these words. December 26th, 1914. The trenches. Dear Mother, I'm writing from the trenches. It's eleven o'clock in the morning. Beside me is a coke fire, opposite me a dugout. The ground is sloppy, in the actual trench, but frozen elsewhere. In my mouth is a pipe presented by the Princess Mary. In the pipe is tobacco. Of course, you say. But wait... In the pipe is German tobacco. Ha-ha, you say. From a prisoner or found in a captured trench? Oh, dear, no. From a German soldier. Yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day Christmas Day and, as I write, marvellous, isn't it? This is only for about a mile or two on either side of us, so far as we know. On Christmas Eve, both armies sang carols and cheered, and there was very little firing. The Germans called to our men to come and fetch a cigar, and our men told them to come to us. This went on for some time, neither fully trusting the other, until, after much promising to play the game, a bold Tommy crept out and stood between the trenches, and immediately a Saxon came to meet him. They shook hands and laughed, and then sixteen Germans came out. Thus the ice was broken. Our men are speaking to them now. We had a burial service in the afternoon over the dead Germans who perished in the last attack that was repulsed against us. The Germans put, for fatherland and freedom, on the cross. They obviously think their cause is a just one.
1: I cited that letter in my Hark book, printed with
0: kind permission from
1: Henry Williamson's family. Henry Williamson went on to write Tarka the Otter. Another writer. The Christmas writer. My favourite part from my favourite book. From A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. That book that helped more than any other shape the modern Christmas. He wrote of mulled wine and turkey and games and charity and family. And he even cemented in the English language that familiar festive greeting. Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had of his approach. Bah! Said Scrooge. Humbug! Merry Christmas! What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. What right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. "'What else can I be?' returned the uncle, "'when I live in such a world of fools as this. "'Merry Christmas! "'What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, "'a time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer? "'If I could work my will,' said Scrooge indignantly, "'every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips "'should be boiled with his own pudding "'and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. "'Keep Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine.' Well, we let Dickens keep it in his way, and now we keep it in his way too. To a point, I think when we say the true meaning of Christmas, most of us mean the Dickensian Christmas. Perhaps Cratchit's Christmas took over Christ's arguable. Either way, Dickens helped reset the season, which had got pretty bawdy, or not really celebrated at all. Over in America, it was just as bad, if not worse. Puritan Pilgrim Fathers had landed there and made sure that Christmas barely got a foothold in the New World. So here's the guy who influenced Dickens, the American writer, Washington Irving, creator of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle and the word Knickers and the place named Gotham City and much more besides. Now, the play I've just done, Three Wise Men, was all about Dickens meeting Irving and also Prince Albert, who helped create the modern Christmas between the three of them. But the oldest was Irving. So in 1818, 200 years ago this year, Irving visited England for Christmas. So perhaps the modern Christmas is 200 years old this year. Is anyone celebrating that fact? No. Does the BBC want my TV show referencing this bicentenary? No. They think we would rather watch two Mrs Brown's Boys Christmas specials. They might be right. Maybe we do. But still... It means that here, this podcast, is where we will celebrate the unmistakable influence of Washington Irving. Here's an extended edited excerpt from his account of Old Christmas, an exaggerated semi-fictitious journal that he wrote in 1819 observing how the English observed Christmas. Bear in mind that this was written to a world that didn't really celebrate Christmas at all. There is nothing in England that exercises a more delightful spell over my imagination than the lingerings of the holiday customs and rural games of former times. Of all the old festivals, however, that of Christmas awakens the strongest and most heartfelt associations. There's a tone of solemn and sacred feeling that blends with our conviviality and lift the Spirit to a state of hallowed and elevated enjoyment. The services of the Church about this season are extremely tender and inspiring. They gradually increase in fervour and pathos during the season of Advent, until they break forth in full jubilee on the morning that brought peace and goodwill to men. One of the least pleasing effects of modern refinement is the havoc it has made among the hearty old holiday customs. Many of the games and ceremonials of Christmas have entirely disappeared. The world has become more worldly. Pleasure has expanded into a broader but a shallower stream, and has forsaken many of these deep and quiet channels where it flowed sweetly through the calm bosom of domestic life. Society has acquired a more enlightened and elegant tone, but it has lost many of its strong local peculiarities, its homebred feelings, its honest fireside delights. The Puritans made such a fierce assault upon the ceremonies of the church. Poor old Christmas was driven out of the land by proclamation of Parliament. Nearly two centuries have elapsed since the fiery persecution of poor mince pie throughout the land, when plum porridge was denounced as mere popery, and roast beef as anti-Christian. However, Christmas is still a period of delightful excitement in England. The mistletoe is still hung up in farmhouses and kitchens at Christmas, and the young men have the privilege of kissing the girls under it, plucking each time a berry. When the berries are all plucked, the privilege ceases." the yule clog is a great log of wood sometimes the root of a tree brought into the house with great ceremony on christmas eve laid in the fireplace and lighted with the brand of last year's clog while it lasted there was great drinking singing and telling of tales I'd finished my toilet when we heard a distant thwacking sound which was a signal for this serving up of the dinner Yeah, I think we leave it there I just wanted to include his phrase I'd finished my toilet Not influential on Christmas But, well, I challenge you this Christmas Dear podcast listener To announce to your family I have finished my toilet Do it The Heptagon Club
0: Seven guests, seven corners The Heptagon Club With Paul Carenza
1: Lesson five You're doing very, very well They're very short from here I promise you We spoke of Christmas being cancelled. This was in the 1640s in England under Olly Cromwell. These words are from Puritan sympathiser Hezekiah Woodward. He called Christmas...
0: Christmas day, the old heathens feasting day, in honour to Saturn their idol god, the papists massing day, the profane man's ranting day, the superstitious man's idle day, the multitude's idle day, Satan's, that adversary's, working day, the true Christian man's fasting day.
1: I don't think he liked it. 200 years earlier, 1470-ish, is the first time we know of Father Christmas in print. He was about before, but this is the earliest written record of Christmas the person, the bloke. Here called Sir Christmas in a carol written by Richard Smart, a clergyman of Plymtree in Devon. You right, my lover? Isn't that Cornish? Yeah, well, it's 1470 and the accents were different. That's handy, and the accents have been different throughout this podcast of what they're probably meant to be. So what is your carol, Richard Smart, of Plymtree in Devon? Noel, Noel, Noel. Who is there that singeth so, Noël, Noël? I am here, Sir Christmas. Oh, welcome, my lord, Sir Christmas. Welcome to all, both more or less, come near, Noël. God be with you, sir, tidings I you bring. A maid hath borne a child full young. The which causeth me to sing, Noël. Christ is now born of a pure maid. In an ox-stall he is laid. Wherefore sing we all at a braid, Noël? Drink you all right heartily, make good cheer and be right merry, and sing with us now joyfully, Noel. That's the first time we have Father or Sir Christmas in print in that carol. He's heralding the birth of Jesus. Just remember that when we think of Father Christmas in opposition to the Nativity story. He was the one to announce it back in the 1470s. (laughs) So good podcast listener, I know this is a different podcast than usual, it's Christmas, I love to geek out about Christmas and these are, I think, the lessons that are useful to know as we drift back into Christmas past, just to give a little hint of how we've come to be here. We've kind of bypassed to us the night before Christmas, I did not think we need that, everyone else does that one, you can listen to that one elsewhere. Right now though, we're in medieval England, okay, 1351's Christmas under Henry III, big double celebration, it was Christmas and it was his daughter's wedding, she was 11, her husband... King of Scotland, he just turned 10. Clearly, he was drawn to the older lady. It's encouraging to hear that the 11 and 10 year old waited to consummate the marriage, although only another three years until they're both 14. So, for our seventh lesson, let's hear the kitchen order from this most banquetous of Christmases. It's uh, 70 pigs, a 1,000 cod, 500 conger eels, 10,000 haddock. 1,992 hens, best be specific, 1,600 partridges, 120 peacocks, 290 pheasants, 300 rabbits, 125 swans. And that was just for starters. Well, it may not have been just for starters, but there was plenty more ordered too. One guest, Benedictine monk Matthew of Paris, not Matthew Paris, the current journalist, he noted at the time... The worldly and wanton vanity of the scene, if it were to be described in full, would produce wonder and weariness in those who heard it. So Christmas quite extravagant then, and that's actually seven guests. That's normally where we would leave it, but we can't leave Christmas there. So we're going to continue to the full nine. Nine Lessons and Carols style, which of course you don't need me to tell you Nine Lessons and Carols comes from Bishop Benson, True Cathedral, 1880. The same guy came up with the uh, Turn of the Screw ghost story, another Christmas champion. For more of this festive trivia and backstory, you know what to do. You bring a bottle moment on this episode of the podcast. If you haven't got one, is grab a copy of Hark, the biography of Christmas. You can seal this in as much detail as you do or don't want. If you you've got that already, maybe you would like to get my new book of jokes and pretend wisdom. It's called What Are They Doing Down There? Basically, get online, order a Paul Carenza book. I would be ever so grateful. They make great Christmas presents. And if you've got them all already or got one of them, maybe give us a review on Amazon or Goodreads. Thank you. Anyway, enough salesmanship. That's not really me. Uh, But let me tell you while we're here of a few Carenza-tunities this Christmas. You can catch a few lines that I've added to Not Going Out Live, BBC One, December 20th. Should Be a Right Hoot Uh, is a live episode of the sitcom for the first time. I'm also on Radio 4 on Christmas Day night. That's going into Boxing Day. It's technically December 26th, just after midnight. Okay, I'm doing Radio 4's Christmas Meditation. Very honoured to be asked to do that. Expect more on Christmas past and these traditions and fab people that we can thank for getting us to our current Christmas. I'm also hosting BBC Sussex and BBC Surrey's Sunday Breakfast on New Year's Eve Eve. That's December 30th, 6 to 9am. And as I mentioned, Steve Wright's Big Show on Radio 2 around about 3 or 4pm on Tuesday A. 18th of december pause for thoughts continue on radio 2 breakfast show that's next on december 14th and the 20th and january the 4th and 11th which is uh, my, my 40th birthday bizarrely so that'll be nice get to do a little pause for thought a little message to the nation as i turn the big 4-0 no pressure if you're quick i've also got comedians and carols shows still around the land go to comediansandcarols.com to see if we are near you uh, last few this year in essex and kent and southwest london and bristol meanwhile Though right here, we have a podcast to finish. So, we're nearly there. Eighth lesson. Let's have the first ever carol. That's the first carol that we know of, at least. Uh, It's not the 12 Days of Christmas. That was all about medieval feasts, of course. All those birds are roasted and on the table, you know, surrounded by dancing and leaping, and, I don't know, maids are milking. Uh, But the partridges and the French hens, they're, they're, they're dinner, basically, okay? The earliest carol also isn't uh, While Shepherds Watched, although that was the only legal carol for the whole of the 18th century because it's the only fully biblical carol. It's also not Little Donkey. That's one of the most recent, really, uh, Christmas songs, 1959, by Eric Boswell, who was far prouder of his other funny animal songs, including I've Got a Little Whippet. True story. The carol is also not Indulci Jubilo, although that was pretty early, 1328, one of the first Macaronic carols, in other words, alternated between two languages, that's what Macaronic means, that's why the Macarena is so cool, because it's got two languages in it, there you go, But you never thought we'd get to the Macarena in this visit through Christmas past, well, Indulci Jubilo was not written by Mike Oldfield, the original was by Heinrich Zuse, the most popular writer of the 14th century, Heinrich Zuse liked to celebrate Christmas by standing in the cold on Christmas day, until his time cracked and his skin blackened. So there you go. I bet he's quite glad it's not Christmas every day. Note the earliest carol that we know of is one that no one's singing this Christmas probably about a thousand years before in Dulce Jubilo Saint Hilary of Poitiers composed the Latin carol Jesus Refulsit Omnium Jesus illuminates all in the 4th century just after the first Christmas celebration started around 336 AD that's what we're looking at, Jesus Refulsit Omnium Pius Redemptor Gentium and the translation from Latin something comes out along the lines of Jesus illuminates all, devoted redeemer of all nations, let the whole family of the faithful celebrate the stories the shining star gleams. In the heavens makes him known at his birth, and going before has led the Magi to his cradle. So it's all very divine and Magi led, and that potentially is the earliest carol that we know of. Ooh. Dear listener, you have done very well. So let's close off at the Nativity. Well, rather than just quote the original Nativity story from Matthew or Luke's Gospel. I'm going secular on this one, so let's quote Peanuts doing the same thing, OK? Our special ninth guest is Charlie Brown with his friend Linus from A Charlie Brown Christmas. First broadcast December 9th, 1965, linking back up round about the same time as our first lesson, that jingle bells in space. Charlie Brown has been looking for a perfect Christmas tree And he settled on the only real one he can find, a small shrub. And he says something along the lines of...
0: Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I don't really know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Enter Linus. Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Linus walks centre stage, clutching his comfort blanket, and he finds the spotlight. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not.
1: Linus purposefully drops his security blanket.
0: For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth be peace, good will toward men.
1: Linus picks up his comfort blanket, and he shuffles off stage. And that is what
0: Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown.
1: Some paraphrasings have been used because of course all copyright is retained by the original writers of these merry messages and we thank them hugely and send them a very special Christmas greeting.
0: Hey you, anybody said to you today?
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Your love has made the world a better
1: Wishing you the merriest of Christmases and a happy
0: beautiful,
1: new year. We will see you in that new year it
0: doesn't matter
1: what for you our waste. last seven guests and as tiny tim observed
0: it's Christmas! You.